Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And we are in the midst of impeachment? Or a cover-up, depending on who you ask. Right? I mean, like... Don't tell me we're both in a bubble when we see the Republican Party actively trying to quash the notion of witnesses, documents, and evidence, and Democrats trying to bring that stuff in. We are not having the same relationship with the truth. One party wants the truth, the other party does not, which tracks with all sorts of things we've been dealing with with the Republican Party for quite a while. Mm -hmm. There is no issue that I, as a Democrat, believe that most Democrats believe where there's a community of experts saying that's simply not true. But on climate, on immigration, on taxation, on voting, on so many issues, there's an institutional position that the GOP takes where there is a community of experts saying, objectively, that's just not true. And we see that boiled down in the impeachment trial that McConnell and the Republicans are trying to keep the truth, the documents, the evidence from coming in. And Democrats are saying, can we just talk about reality? Can we just have everybody testify? You know, I used to believe that there was a foundational truth about America, right? We're a country that is very deeply steeped in contradiction. But the thing that always made America different and better was the possibility of the thing. It's the possibility that drives people to leave their homes, leave everything that they know to come here. It's the possibility of a better life. It's a possibility of a future. Barack Obama said that his story could only be true in America, totally. right? Bill Clinton said that what is wrong with America can in fact be fixed by what is right with America. Mm -hmm. We have known these things to be true, but what Republicans have displayed, what they have put on display over the past several years, but definitely within the beginning of this impeachment trial, is the fact that those fundamental truths about America they don't believe in anymore. They don't give a shit about them. The Constitution, the framers, the fundamental understanding of our moral compass, they have thrown out. What is horrifying to me to realize in this moment is that we kept holding on to the belief that there would be this small crop of Republicans that would, quote unquote, do the right thing, that would have a spine, that would stand up, that would dig down deep and find their patriotism. These people People took oaths. We watched it on television. We watched Chief Justice John Roberts swear them in 
for transparency, to honor the Constitution. And yesterday, for 12 hours, we watched them lie mm. to the American people, mm -hmm. to obstruct, to break their oath. And why nobody rushed in, right? Chief Justice John Roberts decided to admonish both sides mm. as if both sides are doing something that is wrong when, no, you have one side. You have Democrats that are fighting for truth, liberty, and justice. And then you have Republicans who have decided to turn themselves into a cult, into the cult of Donald Trump. And so there is not two sides here. Yesterday, you had Fox News placing Democrats on mute and speaking over them as they were giving their testimony, and you had them blasting over the airwaves the fucking lies that Republicans have been telling. And so much so that I believe that they think that they're telling the truth. That's how deeply invested in the lie of Trump that they have become. And so for me, it's beyond corruption. It's beyond cover-up. They have literally gone to the soul of who we are as Americans about what makes us special, what makes this country different, what makes our democracy whole, and they have crushed it. Perhaps even worse than Fox News, because we know that they are doing entertainment. We know they're doing a propagandist clown show, is the New York Times, which is supposed to be the paper mm. of record, mm -hmm. and will come out with headlines like, acrimony on both sides, yeah. D's and R's spar over amendments, equating and both sidesing, and like... That sort of expectation of truth from the times and the subversion of it with mm -hmm. this both sidesist agenda is extraordinarily problematic. And it makes the average voter, it makes it hard for them to be able to see reality and what's really going on. But I have not expected that even from the fringe of Republicans, because this is not merely a symptom of the Trump cult. Mm -hmm. This has been going on within this caucus for Decades. quite a long time. They are under the control of the leader in a way that the Democratic Party has never been. We march in multiple directions at once, sometimes for our good, sometimes for our detriment. The Republican Party tends not to do that. And we see once again Susan Collins... Mm doing her I'm an independent dance. Oh, my God. But, of course, in the end, she will go back. And she does this thing now where she's saying, I think I want to hear witnesses, but I need to hear all the evidence first. Well, you know what they're going to say. Nothing new will be said to you that you don't already know. So... What do you need to hear? You're just setting. She's like Lucy with the Charlie Brown football. L let me tell you something about Susan Collins. And I try not to speak ill, like about. I try not to use derogatory language when it pertains to women. But I actually just don't give a damn. Susan Collins is a bitch, and she's a fucking liar. She has lied. She has lost all credibility to me when she stood up and gave that bullshit testimony, forty five minutes on Brett Kavanaugh on a sexual predator and why he should be able to be a justice of the Supreme Court as she was going to be quote unquote wavering back and forth you know I just don't know where I'm going to do she's a tease is what Susan Collins she is, is. A she's a political tease yeah. she wants to pretend that she's sitting on a fence when yeah. we know that more than 67% of the time she's voting with Donald Trump let's not I, pretend I can't recall ever her taking some independent stand no, on a significant issue no what she does is she pretends 
pretends, she pretends like she's a part of Destiny's Child. She pretends that she's an independent woman so that the people of Maine who do actually sit on fences at times and they're, you know, weighing both sides, that she's going to do, quote unquote, what's right. And so she gets all the play in the press. She gets held up as some type of, you know, arbiter of truth and justice by the Republican Party. But she's a fucking fraud. She seems like an independent mind. She seems like a possible moderate. And she gets that play when she does media avail and says, I'm thinking I'm about thinking. what to do on Medicare. I'm thinking about what to do on impeachment. I'm thinking I'm open to both. McConnell knows she's not She's not thinking. Because she always goes to the right she, every single time. She is literally absent of thought. And so I would love for us, those that are in the media, I would love for us to stop lifting up Susan Collins mm. as anything. And what I pray to God is that the people of Maine will realize what a fraud she is. I think they do. I don't, you know. Really? Because they keep voting for her. Well, she's up again. Yes, she is. But it's quite a cynical game that she keeps playing with the voters of Maine and the voters of America, like Mm -hmm. saying, I'm thinking about it and then not. But of course, she is nothing compared to the evil Mm. that is Midnight Mitch Moscow McConnell, Mm -hmm. where he is, again, using the Senate as a campaign tool, Mm -hmm. using the Senate, breaking tradition, breaking just any sort of common sense notion. And it's interesting in this situation because he's generally an excellent judge of the caucus, and he's generally fully in control of the caucus and they fan out behind him just as he would want like Beyonce's dancers do Come exactly on, what formation. she wants. This time it's been at least two or three different big ideas that he's been like we're going to do it this way and enough of the caucus is like I can't do that. And so we had to open different things up, right? We're doing this longer than we are initially going to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So he's misreading the caucus in some small ways. I wonder if that's because this issue seems bigger to certain people, if he's losing his grip or not, or just this issue is just so large that he can't just put it in a box and make it go away the way Trump wants him to. I mean, look, Republicans voted 11 times to withhold evidence, to withhold witnesses, to push through his bullshit resolution that he also dropped in the middle of the night. Like, what is this, a mixtape? I don't understand why Republicans (laughs) keep doing shit like this, too. Like, the Trump administration, let us drop something at, like, 7 o'clock on a Friday, right? Like, Mitch McConnell, let me drop the resolution, which is such a breakaway from the Clinton impeachment trial, but let me do that on MLK Day at, like, 8 p.m. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it is so disingenuous and it's so um, untrustworthy, like their behavior. And again, I keep saying, if you have nothing to hide, if your dude is so trustworthy, like these people allow that word to come out of this mouth. Oh, Donald Trump, he's a man of his word. He's a man of a lot of things, but his word ain't one of them. Okay, and you know that. So why would you say something like that? But again, if Democrats are on this witch hunt, if this is actually a hoax, then why are you rushing shit through in the middle of the night like a smash and grab job? Why are you acting like you stole something that you're trying to hide? Right. Right. Like if this is real, 
right? If you're saying that you really have grievances with how the Democrats did things, then bring up all of your witnesses to say under oath that your boy didn't do it because you can't produce that shit. No, no. Never forget that people went under oath and said he committed crimes. And nobody went under oath and said, no, he did not. Correct. They carped from far away from oath, far away from the potential of going to jail and said, no, this is not true. And now we get Bolton and other folks saying, well, I would like to testify. What? Why, why do you have to want to testify? Nobody can actually stop you from doing it. No one can actually stop you from sitting down with George Stephanopoulos or somebody or us and saying, <laughs> this is what I have to say. This is my position. Nobody can stop you. They can't send you to jail for doing an interview. Go sit with Rachel Maddow. That's what the cool kids are doing now. And me go the Parnass route, yeah. right? And say, not only do I know all of these people, but here are all my selfies. By the way, his selfie game is tight. <laughs> oh, my God. He took a picture with everybody. Somebody on Twitter was like, shit, I got to look at my phone and see if I have a picture with Parnas. <laughs> like, unbelievable. But here's the thing. These people don't want you to know the truth. They don't want the American people to know the truth. And I wish, I wish that the majority of Americans, you know, didn't have jobs in the daytime and so that they were all staying up until one o'clock in the morning, right? To see justice prevail. But that's not what's happening. And so to your point, Tore, it's like, yeah, here's the thing. Why has no one offered themselves up to go under oath to testify to clear Donald Trump of all wrongdoing. The call is so perfect and he is so right. Then what do you have to lose? I mean, if that's what you believe, spit your game. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Speak your truth. But instead, we have Midnight Moscow Mitch pulling his same Grim Reaper bullshit on mm. the American people, mm -mm. literally taking a knife, taking a machete to our Constitution, 
to our values, to our morals, to the Statue of Liberty, to everything that we stand for. Mitch McConnell, a single man, right, has broken down, has broken apart. And the question that I continue to ask is, are we done? Is this irrevocably broken? Like, are we ever going to be able to put this back together? I'm not sure how or when the Republican Party returns from this wilderness of using the system however they want, permanent campaign, break all legislative process in order to make whatever campaign is coming next, be it four years away or one year away, to help that. Because that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. There used to be a difference between the campaign period and the legislative slash governing period. They were two distinct moments. Now, at least for the Republican Party, it's all one. It's all campaigning. And the legislative process is used as a weapon Mm -hmm. toward the campaigning moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure when they return from that. I wonder if the next Senate majority leader, because Mitch McConnell is very old, he will not be there forever. God willing. God willing. Pray about it. I do. I wonder if the next one will be as willing to be as brazen. But but why not? You get to go down in infamy, right? Like, why not be as brazen? What they're dictating right now is that anybody... Anybody that goes into the White House that becomes president of the United States is going to be running their own fiefdom, is going to be setting up a kleptocracy, is going to be saying, you know, how can I get rich off of this? Not everybody is as business minded. Most Americans are not as business minded. I use that in quotes. But Trump sees everything as an opportunity to make money. Most people in Washington have made money, but they're not looking at the world in that craven business way. And before anyone out there thinks, well, a Democrat as Senate Majority Leader would do the same thing, no, I don't believe that. No. I don't believe that Chuck Schumer or anybody else who would get that gavel or get that chair would think, I'm going to block you from putting your Supreme Court nominees on the bench because we're only nine months away from another election. I'm going to completely change the rules of... No, because the core thesis of the Republican Party is that government is the problem, so they go to Washington to create a food fight to Mm -hmm. further their thesis Mm -hmm. that government is the problem. Mm -hmm. The core thesis of the Democratic Party is that government can solve big problems. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to wreck government in the interest of ruining our core theory. I think that what Democrats have to do, if in fact we do have a country left after Trump, which I'm on the fence about, Mm. but if in fact we do, and Democrats find themselves in a majority again, holding on to the House, getting the Senate, if that happens again in our future, in the next couple of years, I will say this. If Democrats do not go in and change all of the laws right? Change all of the rules of how Congress operates, of the powers of the presidency. With Trump in mind, Mm -hmm. if they don't use this as their thesis and their setup to right a whole bunch of wrongs and ills, then they don't deserve the majority. Because right now, what we have realized, everything from our constitutions to our rules in the Senate and procedure and what have you, we've activated it all on good faith, Right? On good faith. But the Republican Party uses this stuff against us, right? Like when we change the rule to bring it down from 66, right? Down from 66 senators. 
they didn't think that Republicans would turn around and use that against them two years later. Well, we all need to start thinking about the worst things that can be done. And again, that goes against our belief system as Americans, because fundamentally, we believe that there is a coming together, that you do have two parties, that we believe in compromise. We, we believe, believe in, in, in creating that progress that we can all rally behind and say, oh, yes, we did that. That's all Democrats. That's we believe in that. But I, I don't t- think that rank and file Republican voters believe in any of that. I mean, well, what we see is that they don't believe in anything but power. Power. I think there's a selfishness. And a ruthlessness. A ruthlessness. They may not even use the term even internally, but a notion of white supremacy that giving to the people who are not hardworking Americans who don't complain and just get up and do hard work Mm -hmm. every day and like giving to others like that bothers them. I mean, like, hardworking has been Republican radio slang for white people for decades. Let me tell you something about hardworking white people. Come on. So you are so hardworking, right, that who is doing the majority of poultry factory work, right? It's Mm. undocumented immigrants, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. The hardest type of labor. Who does the most domestic work in this country, Mm -hmm. right? People of of color. Who built this country on their backs with blood, sweat, and tears? Black folks. Don't talk to me about fucking hardworking white folks, okay? Because I am tired of that bullshit narrative. Because it is not the case. And they have not built this country. And as a matter of fact, every time we allow for that narrative to go forward, hardworking white folks have been a part of the problem of creating obstacles so that people of color and women cannot enter the workplace. So you're only hardworking as long as everyone else is on the outskirts. Look, pimping ain't easy. Yeah, no, it ain't. Running hedge funds is not easy, okay? Being a Wall Street titan is not easy. I think you need to give a little more respect Yeah. the people who are creating the next Uber in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and these sort of folks who are working. Now, look, this is another side to this coin, our party. We got a little fight going on. Oh, yeah. And it's not helping. Nope. I still feel the reverberations from the Bernie-Liz Warren battle over the truth. Mm-hmm. I have been somebody who prefers Elizabeth Warren to everybody else in the field, but would be very happy and proud to vote for Bernie. I feel it getting harder to say I like both of them when both of them are pointing at each other and saying, you are lying. And now we have Hillary coming into the fray saying, basically, I don't like Bernie. Nobody likes Bernie. One day she says, I would have to think about if I would support him, which is code for I would not support him. She comes out the next day after presumably somebody shook her by the shoulders and was like... You mean all of Twitter? But yeah, yeah, sure. Please, please. The most important thing is defeating Trump. So then she came back and said, of course I would support anyone who's the Democratic nominee because the most important thing is defeating Trump. (sighs) The thing is, is that, look, Hillary Clinton is entitled to her opinion. She's entitled to have that. But at the end of the day, just as I... I'm not a fan of Bernie Sanders. I have said time and time again, if he is the nominee, I'm going horse for him. The question was posed to her. She should have said, you know what? We need to vote blue no matter who. Sure, we all have our favorites and sure, we all have the candidates that we would love to see. But at the end of the day, as a nation, as a party, the only thing that we should be focused on is defeating Donald Trump, right? That's it. 
That's what she well, should have said. Look, I get it. Yes. She thought he stayed in the primary too long, hurt her campaign. You know, this hurt her campaign, that hurt her campaign. In many aspects, Hillary Clinton also hurt her own campaign, yeah, right? And absolutely. so that's a reality as well. But to say at this stage, in the midst of an impeachment trial, in the midst of us still trying to narrow down this too large field, to say like, oh, well, I would have to think about it. Bitch, you don't have to think about a goddamn thing. Pull the lever. Pull the lever. I want to talk about some of the recent polling we've seen. Mm -hmm. And one of the notions that is very important to a lot of voters, a lot of Dem voters, defeating Trump for many of them, for most of them, seems to be the most important thing. Yes. And I understand that. And I fully share the imperative of dethroning Trump and getting him out of the White House and getting him to where the SDNY can get him behind bars, perhaps. But I. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I think that we are making a sort of devil's bargain in saying I will vote for anyone but Trump. And mm -hmm. I understand the feeling. But we also need to make sure that we are getting what we want out of the bargain. I don't want the Democrat who is most appealing to Republican voters because then we have moved the Overton window to their side. We're not really getting what we want. We just want somebody other than Trump. I want both the removal of Trump and a candidate who speaks to my values. And I'm not just going to ignore my values in the pursuit of anyone but Trump. Sure. I will say this, though. The only thing that right now in this moment that I care about more than anything else is defeating Donald Trump. Part and parceling and dealing with whoever gets into the White House after them, I am happy to have those arguments. I am happy to do that lobbying to make sure that the issues that I care about most, that my family cares about most, are front and center. But I am not interested in having an issues debate at this moment when we literally have a fascist criminal in the White House. But, the times are too consequential when, for me to be having that conversation. When we get to the general election, mm -hmm. then it will be like, just support whoever we yes. have come up with and we'll go with that. But if we have said we will support whoever 
And whoever means the person who is most adjacent to Republican voters, the Mm -hmm. vulnerable Republican voters who might switch sides, then they are in charge. And the new Democratic president has to serve them to make sure that they stay with because those are the most tenuous supporters. Right. So we serve them and give them the policies that they need Mm -hmm. so that they stay with us and don't switch back in 2024 and then we lose the white house again so that that is not what i want i don't want a republican and democrats clothing and that's sort of what we very true now is the time to have a full-throated argument about who you want when we get to the general yes but once we get to the general you're not going to be able to say hey we want you to also support this no i've already been chosen who is actually viable in your opinion not the Russian asset, but the one that's actually viable that you think is a Republican and Democrats clothing. One that is actually polling in a way that shows that they have a constituency and a backing. Well, I'm going to push back against the last notion of who seems to be polling toward the front of the race, because as we know, John Kerry at this point was at four or five percent. Mm-hmm. And at this point, if we'd been doing the show in 08, we would not have been saying Obama's going to win. So it's hard to know before Mm -hmm. the votes start rolling in. As far back as Klobuchar has been, there's still a chance that she might win. And she is good in many ways, but she is too moderate for my taste. Joe Biden is far too moderate for my taste. The actual Republican in Democrats' clothing Mm -hmm. is Mike Bloomberg. And Mm. if you think there's no chance that he could win, you're crazy. He could totally win this thing. And it sounds crazy right now because of where he's polling, but it's not. So black voters, Mm -hmm. new Ipsos poll, Joe 48, Bernie 20. All these polls of black voters are really showing Warren slipping back and it really being a Joe versus Bernie race. And in most of them, Joe has a significant but not unconquerable lead, but Joe has his lead. Then Bernie with a solid amount of support. And Warren third. Bloomberg is fourth in the Ipsos Washington Post poll. He's got 4%, which is very small. But we have seen, I mean, in the Democratic primary, the January leader usually doesn't win unless they are a sitting vice president, right? And Hillary was, in essence, that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But most of the time in the Democratic primary, the January leader does not win, right? Second place among black voters in the Ipsos poll, Bernie leads with 24. Warren is second with 20. Then Biden. Bloomberg is fourth. Bloomberg is scary. And I will say that Bloomberg is scary because of his deep, deep pockets. He's already spent over $200 million. He's been in the race, I think, maybe now about a month. And he has spent two hundred million dollars of his own money right and that's that's walking around money and that that clearly is not even walking around money for him that's (laughs) like that's under the couch money for him um and so which is disgusting in my personal opinion because i again i could rattle off a list of things that bloomberg could be spending his money on that could actually change Many of the issues that we have, I don't know, it Mm. could even bring clean water to Flint, Michigan, Mm. which just got the right to be able to sue after five years of drinking poison. Nonetheless, I say that to say that, yes, the polling, it's like reading the tea leaves and, you know, where things will stand, we will find out in just a handful of days. 
in Iowa. Mm. And that, to me, is terrifying because we have no clear... No clear winner right now. And I think that you and I will be here in a couple of days going, oh, shit. Something. I mean, Bloomberg is the strongest and most strident anti-gun Democrat candidate that we have seen ever. Mm -hmm. He also believes in climate change and support (laughs) and puts money towards that. And I mean, you know, I will never forget or forgive him for stop and frisk. Nope. I was a New Yorker during that time and I lived in fear of that of that happening to me, happening to my cousin, happening to the men that I lived around that I care about. But the gun issue, while not wooing me personally, is something that could be incredibly powerful in a Democratic primary if he starts to learn how to harness that correctly. I find it fascinating that we could be heading for a billionaire or two against two of the most anti-billionaire wealth inequality candidates we've ever seen. I mean, like, you know, if it was in a novel, you'd be like, it's it's too much. It's too on the nose. Yeah, Warren and Sanders competing with actual billion two or three actual billionaires. I will say this, though. I do think that the polls are indicative of something, which is that with Bernie either ahead and Biden behind, I think that the American public wants real substantive change. Like, I think that they want the pension... No, with Bernie ahead in several of the polls. I've seen, I've seen one. No, there are a couple. There are a couple. The new CNN has Bernie yeah. ahead, but most of them have still Biden ahead. And just Biden, like you said, Biden does not. Re- Biden is the opposite of substantive change. No, he is. He's, he's an literally. He's an incrementalist. Yep. If you want real change, that is not your guy. That's not your guy. I think that we're going to be surprised. And how much Dem voters want real change? I think that we're going to be surprised. I think there's so much fear of Trump and fear of asking for slash demanding real change to say, let's just get rid of him because we have to get rid of him. We can't ask for real change. I think that I would like to do both. Go to the opposite of him. Don't go to somebody who's close to him who might peel off a couple people who are Mm -hmm. close to him. Go to the other side and present a stark contrast to where Democrats who did not vote last time are like, I'll vote for that. I think people of color, I think women, you need to watch where women have been trending. 63% of women are against Donald Trump right now. Your Roe v. Wade is back up again on the Supreme Court. I think you need to look at where black voters are, where Latinx voters are, where young people are. I think that we are going to be surprised. Whether that is pleasantly surprised, I don't know. But I tell you that I believe that Republicans are overplaying their hand right now. And they are really, truly, and completely showing their full ass. Two things they stay showing their ass. Come on. Two things that leapt out at me from the Ipsos Washington Post poll of black voters. By a large margin, black voters say it is not important to them that the VP be black. I think that's interesting because I hear a lot of white analysts saying, well, you've got to have a VP of color. And I never think that And this political science shows that who you choose as the vice president does not matter, does not shape the total you get at the ballot box. But I... Might I think white people are thinking that 
black people want a black VP more than black people actually feel they want a black VP. But the Ipsos poll also notes, who would you never vote for? Hmm. Number one. Can you guess number one? Who? Tulsi. Well, <laughs> I, I, would have... I wouldn't vote for her to pack my groceries. So <laughs> there's that. Number two. Bloomberg at 17. Tulsi's number one at 23. Bloomberg number two at 17. Pete right behind him at 15, which is not surprising given what they've dealt with in their hometowns for Pete and Stop and Frisk Mike. And number four in among who I would never vote for, Mm. Deval Patrick. Oh, is he still in the race? Technically. But what did he ever do to you? I don't know. What, what you can you name anything about him? Can you name anything that he did or did like what? Why there's like this significant group of people? Thirteen percent of this poll who are like, I would never vote for DeBal Patrick. What? What? <laughs> yeah, Mike I don't and, know. Mike and Pete and Tulsi, I get. They've had some national exposure. We've heard some very negative things about them right. as they black all have and some brown ha- people. And I'm like, are all those people from Massachusetts? Right. Like, what? <laughs> Right. Like, do they right. know something we 13, don't know? Thirteen percent from Massachusetts. I don't even think that black folks in Massachusetts are as against Duvall as we see this book. So I was. It almost made me laugh. I'm like, why? Why? Wh- That's hilarious. Why the hate on Duvall? I don't know why so they hate hardcore. him so much. How do you feel about the country right now? <laughs> How do I feel about the country right now? Are we on the right track? Are Are we on a track? <laughs> <laughs> that would be that's actually the better question are we on a track the train called america has gone off the track is yeah it, so, so is it stuck or is it sort of like you know when like in a movie when it gets but parts of the train gets knocked off and it's sort of careening down the track and like sparks are flying up and the bottom off the steel it's, wheels and... it's like roadrunner <laughs> Where Roadrunner would run off the cliff oh. and then still be in midair, okay, right? Okay. America is careening. We are hanging over the side of the cliff, and we will be there until election day. And we will just figure out whether or not we have enough to pull us back. Ooh. Like Roadrunner would be like, oh, I went too far, or just drop to the bottom. See, it's interesting because, you know, I feel like the Obama presidency was him dealing with incoming every day. There's some... Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're dealing with incoming right. every day. There's some domestic crisis that he's dealing with. That's prevent- he, he couldn't just say, here's what we're going to do for the next six months. There's the banking crisis. There's the child migration crisis. There's the Republican crisis. There's, you know, black and brown kids getting killed in the street and black and brown men getting killed in the street. Then there's a foreign crisis in Syria and Ukraine. And Mm. he's sort of constantly dealing with stuff coming at him. And I felt like, well, that's the nature of the presidency. Surely that's what Trump will deal with. And I feel like, no, he is constantly creating the problems for us and for himself. And he's hardly ever dealing with the world has intruded and now you must stop and deal with this that's happening in this other country or this that's happening in this country. Maybe he's just ignoring. He's an agent of chaos. He's an agent of chaos. He is a destroyer. He's more chaotic than the chaotic world that we're in. Yep. He needs to be silenced. That's the only way. That's the only way we find our way back. He needs to be silenced, and the rest of them need to be punished. On that note, thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And we'll be back next week if... 
there's still a country. Giant if. Pray about it. <laughs> Giant. Giant. Giant if.